The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray one more time. Just ask for help as we come before his word. Our Father, we pray you'd open our eyes, open our hearts. Lord, as we deal with a tough, uh, a tough topic, Lord, make us uh, soft to listen to you. And we pray you'd enable, enable what you call us to to happen. And we thank you that in the gospel you do just that. You enable um, what you ask for in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hard question for you. How do you tend to respond to suffering? How do you tend to respond to suffering? One thing we all agree on, doesn't matter uh, how old or young you are or rich or poor or anything else, uh, never heard anybody I know say there's no suffering. Um, Some people say there's an illusion of suffering, but even then it's a pretty strong illusion. (laughs) We all suffer. How do you respond? Right? There's futility in our lives. You ever had a futile day at work? It's not working. You ever had a day like nothing is working the way it's supposed to work? Things fall apart, they break, it's unfair what we have to go through. How do you respond? Then there's conflict. Oh man, conflict in our relationships. Things break, they get ugly, they, they go wrong. Somebody says something, does something, lets you down. How do you respond? Then there's crisis, the, the big stuff. Uh, your, your, your health goes. Uh, a huge tragedy, a huge loss. How do you respond? What do you do? Good Friday's coming up this week um, where we think about Jesus' suffering. And there's these amazing lines in the Gospel of Luke, I've been spending my time there, where it says, and it's repeated, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He looked towards Jerusalem and he, he set his face and he went straight there. Have you ever wondered why? Look at these verses with me. I got three verses from Luke here. The Son of Man, what? Must suffer many things and then be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Look now, Luke 17, 25. Jesus says, but first he, what? Must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Luke 24, 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should, what? Suffer these things and enter into his glory. He set his face toward Jerusalem. Why? He had to suffer. He must suffer. He was going to suffer. That's amazing. Would you walk into a situation where you knew it would bring epic suffering? I tend to, if I see those ahead, I tend to be like, you turn. How can I squeeze out of this? Um, Jesus did, walked right into suffering, but um, full disclosure, I've got to let you in on kind of Christianity's dirty secret. Um, When you did become a Christian, you did just that. You walked right into suffering. You walked right into it. We're in a sermon series we've been calling Saved Two, and we've seen awesome things God has for us in our lives as Christians. Uh, Last week we saw we've been saved to share in the divine nature. Unbelievable. I'm still... That's still echoing in my head. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at we've been saved a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there was a line in that text from Romans 8 that that I didn't get to, and and I, I, I knew I needed to at some point, and today's the day. Look with me, Romans 18, start in verse, sorry, Romans 8, verse 16, start in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So did, did you see that? This is what I want to unpack today. Provided we suffer with him. What's that word provided mean to you? The Holy Spirit's telling us in Christ, we're God's children. He's given us all these reasons. And one of the things he says, one of the things that shows that you're a child of God is that you will suffer with him. Wow. 
So I don't want to say we're saved to suffering, no. We're saved to glory, that's Paul's point in this passage. But we're saved to glory through suffering. A certain kind of suffering, really, that's unique to a Christian. And it has everything to do with how we respond to suffering. How we respond. So listen, Christians have always had a hard time with this idea of how you handle suffering. Right on one side, you get every day's a Friday kind of Christianity. You know what I'm talking about, right? And there's no suffering there at all. You meet Jesus and now you're just shooting off to happy land and everything's perfect and you just claim what you want. And Come on, no way. But then on the other side, throughout Christian history, there's been every day's a good Friday kind of Christians. You know, it's a sin to be happy. Don't enjoy anything. Stop smiling, you know, suffer. No. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I lo- that one line's really helpful. There's always stuff to rejoice in. Look where you live. Look what you have. Look at the beauty of creation. Look at the people in your life. We could go on and on about things to be thankful for, couldn't we? There's always things to rejoice in. And have you looked at the world? <laughs> Look in our lives. There's, there's evil. There's suffering. There's always things to suffer. And it, there's always things to suffer and, and weep over. So, so what do we do? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. What, do, what are we constantly doing all the time? Both. Okay? Both. But today we're thinking about this. So I don't want to give you the picture that we're like, good, you know, be sad, all we do is suffer. No, but, but we do suffer, and that's what we're thinking about today. How do we suffer when it comes? So I want to see two major things with you. Number one, I want to look at Jesus and suffering. So kind of like back up, big picture. Jesus and suffering, and the reason to look at that is because that's going to give us hope. You need hope. Can't make it through without hope. So look at Jesus and suffering, give us hope. Then I want to look at Christian suffering, the Christian's suffering, how a Christian responds to suffering. That's going to give us vision for how we respond to suffering, okay? First of all, why did Jesus take on flesh and come to suffer? Why did he do that? Is Jesus, just, is Jesus a sadomasochist who's like, I just, I, I just want to suffer, I'm not getting any of that in heaven. I got to go down here and see what this thing's all about. Or is he, is he looking through suffering to something else? Didn't, didn't he have a goal, to something to accomplish? Okay. As Christians, we know suffering is not the original design. God made everything, you remember the word? Good. And in Genesis 1, that means perfect for human flourishing. Good. Imagine a day, a place, people where every single experience was mm, good. That's the original design. That's how it started. Good. Creation, were good. creation was good and, and humans were made to uh, steward that creation and enjoy it. No suffering. Suffering's not original. It's not original design. But suffering came, what did it come with? Sin, Okay. Um, God is the source of life, of beauty, of goodness, and we have denied him, despised him, rebelled against him, and we, when you deny life and goodness and beauty, what are you going to get? Death and evil and ugly. And so suffering brought, or I'm sorry, sin brought suffering. Our rebellion against God brought suffering. And man did it bring it in a huge way. There's this logic in Scripture where creation follows humanity. Creation's good, and the best part of creation is male and female made in God's image. And they're made uh, to steward creation and to enjoy it. And when they fall, guess what happens to all creation as well? Creation goes with it. That's in our text. Look at Romans 8.20. Paul says there, The creation was subjected to futility. So this curse came with our rebellion against God on everything. All creation now futile. And that word means emptiness as to results. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Now on one side you can think, well, God was pretty kind because doesn't the earth seem to work pretty 
pretty good in a lot of ways, even now. Did you eat today? You know? You got things to, you got a place to live and clothes to wear. The earth is still, still pretty hot, still has its good moments, right? And yet, even there, it's, it's not right. Everything falls apart, breaks down. And we know this in our experience, right? I mean, we live, in a, we live lives where everything's going to the, the garbage sale. Everything's going to the garage sale, the garbage heap, right? What do you own? What about you will be beautiful and pristine in 100 years? Okay, nobody will even remember you in 100 years. We're dust, and we're going to dust. And all that stuff that was so precious, and you spent all that money for it, what will that be worth in 20 years? It's dust. It's futile. It's broken. It's empty. This curse of death. And, and you know, I ask you, what parts of life did this curse hit? What about the physical, the physical world? Is the physical cursed? Natural disasters? Okay. And what is this cancer thing? Anybody know somebody with cancer? Anybody know five people with cancer? Anybody have cancer? In our bodies is the curse breaking. Isn't that suffering? What about our psychological lives? Is that curse? Our emotional states? Do you have days of deep sadness, confusion, anxiety, lostness, loneliness? Broken, curse. What about our moral lives? You ever had anybody commit evil against you, betray you, abuse you, speak harshly to you, mistreat you? Of course. Have you ever done it to anybody else? The curse. What about our relationships? How hard is it to faithfully love someone every moment? What is this handicap we have that our love is so broken, so often self-centered, so inconsistent? And then our spiritual life, due to, due to sin, we are enemies of God, we're cursed. Do you see, sin has brought epic suffering on every level. Why did Jesus come to suffer? Jesus came to suffer in order to put to an end the suffering. He suffered to end the suffering. He suffered to remake what was good. He suffered to fix it, to heal it. He suffered to end the suffering. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, entered our flesh, our experience, our world, our pain in order to save us. Look at this amazing passage from Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, 7 to 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Let's think about that verse just for a moment. Uh, what, what were Jesus' days like? What was he doing? Cries and tears. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. Does Jesus know what it means to suffer? Quite a bit. By the way, how's he responding to his suffering? Where's he going? Constantly talking to his father. Constantly. Now check out this verse, verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. How many of you, your theological mind just went, wait, what? Jesus had to, what did he have to do? Learn obedience. It says earlier in Hebrews that he was made perfect through suffering, and we're like, wait, he's already perfect. The author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus' human nature, not his divine nature, his human experience. And listen, there's only one, what did he come to do? He came to walk your shoes, and he came to beat every temptation you faced and couldn't beat, and he came to obey every command you couldn't obey, and he came to walk through every suffering and do it right, because he's soaking it up into himself. He's getting the win for us. There's only one way for him to get that win, and that's to do it, to feel it, to bleed it. And Jesus did that. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Can you imagine being Jesus? No, you can't, me neither, but let's try. 
The Father says, I really want to save, I want to save my creation. I want, to save, I want to save my people. There's only one way to do this. Um, will you go walk their shoes? Will you go feel it? Will you go take on yourself what you know we owe them so that they can be saved? Will you face the worst suffering conceivably imagined for their sakes? Will you do it? What does Jesus say? I'm in. I'll do it. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Does God ever say something like that to you? Verse 9, and because Jesus was being, and, be, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being, being designated by God a high priest. So now that Jesus has done it, lived it perfectly, suffered for us, rose from the dead, what is he able to give us now? Eternal salvation, perfect salvation, the ultimate priest to bring us to God. He suffered to save us from suffering. He suffered to save us through his life, his death, his resurrection. I want to show you something else, too, sometimes we forget. Look at Colossians 1. In Colossians, Paul here is talking about Jesus, and he says of Jesus in verse 18, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Maybe we're used to the idea of him reconciling us, and that's a beautiful thing. Treasure it. We were enemies. God was against us in our sin. Through the cross, we've been reconciled, made friends with God. But the cross did not only reconcile us. What else did Jesus reconcile to himself on the cross? Verse 20. Everything. Everything. Remember, what happened to... okay. Um, God makes creation, Adam and Eve to steward that creation. Adam and Eve fall, what happens to creation? It falls. So Jesus isn't just going to win his people back. What else is he going to win? He's going to win his creation back. F.F. Bruce is a New Testament scholar, amazing scholar. Listen to what he says here. Since the liberty of the children of God is procured by the redemptive work of Christ... The release of creation from its bondage to decay is assured by that same redemptive work. The universe has been involved in conflict with its creator and needs to be reconciled to him. The conflict must be replaced by peace. This peace has been made through Christ. Isn't that awesome? Romans 8.20, right? That's what it says here. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Why did Jesus suffer? To end suffering. And not just for us and in our, um, in our eternal destinies, but for this for all creation. He's bringing it back. You ever heard of um, Fyodor Dostoevsky? Russian writer. Um, he knew some suffering. He did four years of hard labor in Siberia, so he's already one up on me on the suffering level. Um, he also lost his first wife um, to an early death, so we're not talking about Every day of Friday, kind of a version of suffering from this guy. He knows, he's, he's seen injustice. He knows suffering. I want to read to you a quote of his. Um, what stirs in his heart as he trusts, because he's a Christian, he trusted Christ. Listen to this. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for and that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions 
will vanish like a pitiful mirage. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood they've shed, and that it will make not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. What could that possibly be? It's the return of Jesus. Look what Jesus says in Revelation 21.5. Behold, what? I am making all things new. Jesus came to suffer to end suffering. Jesus took the curse to reverse the curse. He's going to make it new. Suffering's no easy subject. We don't want to treat it too simply or too lightly. But I think it's true that Christianity gives the best answer for the difficulty of suffering. Number one, we're realistic about suffering. Uh, It's there. Uh, We know why it's there. There's a moral aspect. We know suffering's evil and wrong. It's awful. But Christianity gives hope like no other view of reality. Because number one, our God has suffered. He knows what it's like. He has compassion. He's felt the pain. He walked through it. And not only that, he walked through it in order to end it. Suffering has an expiration date. It won't last. Jesus won't let it. He's making it new. Does that give you hope? Does it give you hope? Can you let your heart believe like Dostoevsky that when he comes, when those clouds crack and he walks down, He'll change it. He'll change it. And the suffering will end. Hope in him. Okay. Now the Christian's suffering. In Romans 8, Paul is saying some amazing words at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So what's that mean to you? What's the Holy Spirit doing to your Christian spirit? He's talking. It's bearing witness, and it's intimate, and it's effective. This is not just kind of like through the ear, out the other ear. Uh, in this passage, this is, he's, he's, he's putting this, he's rubbing this into you. He's, mar- he's marinating your heart in this. He's bearing witness with our spirit. And what's he telling us, verse 16? You are God's child. By the way, what do you constantly need to remember? You're God's child. What do you constantly forget? You're God's child. When sin looks really good, you forgot something. You're God's child. And what's the Spirit telling you? Hey, you're God's child. If you cry out to your father, you're God's child. If you fight your sin, you're God's child. Romans 8, 13 to 14. You're God's child. What's that supposed to tell you? You're loved, you're known, you're cared for, you're God's child. And that's why this line is so amazing, verse 17. Your children, then your heirs. So what's an heir? You won the lottery, and it's bigger than that lottery. You're going to get some stuff. What are you going to get? In verse 17, go ahead and have your mind blown. If children, then heirs, heirs of God. You're going to get God to be yours and you're his. Full access, full on relationship with God. Romans 4, you're going to get the world. If you're interested in the lottery, you're aiming too small. The world, it's yours. Your fellow heirs with Christ, what does he get? He's the preeminent one who gets everything. All creation, the universe is his, and you get to share it with him. You have no idea. Do you have any idea what you have? I don't. I'm like, what? Seriously? And then this line, provided if 
you suffer with him. The Spirit's telling you you're a child. (laughs) What do you doubt when you really suffer? Come on. If you go through this suffering, what, what must God really think of you? God, you forgot me. God, you don't love me. You don't value me. If you did, I wouldn't suffer this way. What's the Spirit saying to you? You're God's child provided you suffer with him. First thing to see, does suffering mean you're not God's child? It can mean the opposite. The opposite. So I want to think about some things. First, what kind of suffering are we talking about? Sometimes um, we can think this is like persecution only. Um, in Romans 8, we're talking about the groaning, right? All creation's groaning. So this is, this is junk drawer suffering. Anything you can fit in here that you're like, ah, that works. If it makes you groan, ah, enough, right in here. Put that in this box. So it's everything that's little, right? My car broke down again. I don't have what I need to pay my taxes. I mean, it's not little, but it's, you know, it's frustrating. It doesn't work right. Can't find a job. To, to everything that's massive and devastating and horrible that you don't even want to think about. But it's all in here. It's all in here. It's, it's everything from my friend's mad at me to horrible atrocities. It's all in here. It's things that make you groan. Physical tragedy, is that in here? Any of you groaning over how old you're getting? My shoulder's making me groan lately. I'm tired of this. And, and physical tragedy can... Does God love me? Is he good? Is he here? What about victimization? Does that fit in here? Evil committed against you. You've had evil committed against you by people you should have trusted. There's the big picture, systematic racism, injustice, corruption, right? How many people suffer from those kind of things just all over the globe, every day, all the time? That's in here. It's also relational, everyday abuses we do to one another, meanness, harshness, domineering, right? We, do you groan over that? Ugh, so hard, so tiresome, so exhausting. What about sin and its consequences in our own lives? Do you groan over the presence of sin in your life? You should. Romans 8, 13 to 14, we, we should be fighting this. And do you ever wake up and say, am I still messing with this ugliness in myself? How long? I honestly think that the moment I die, because I, I believe I'll still be conscious because I have a soul, and I think all of a sudden I'll realize when my body dies that I'm not under sin anymore. And I think my sense of self and my, I'll just be like, Imagine no more anxiety ever, perfect peace. And imagine no more bitterness, no more insecurity, no more pride, no more hang-ups. You just, we groan. We still have sin, the presence of sin in our lives. And then, of course, persecution's part of it. If Paul was here on a work day, took off his shirt, you'd see his back and be like, whoa. Because he's, he's had the 39 lashes five times. And he didn't have uh, modern medicine. He's had some infections. He's hurt. And uh, we got brothers and sisters around the world, right? For us, somebody looks at you like, are you a Christian? <laughs> you know. Yes. You know, for, for brothers and sisters around the world, it's, it's, it's real. They groan. So that all fits in this box. And each one of those on its own, wants to push you away from Jesus. That's how Satan would want to use it. Persecution, what does it make you want to do? Oh, I'll be quiet, I won't talk anymore. I'll deny Jesus. Um, people at church are mean to me. Oh, fine, I'll just leave. Fine, I, I, I'm out. Or even fighting sin, right? What's one of the things that pushes us away from Jesus? In the Gospels, um, that one kind of soil the things of the world choked it out. 
you think, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's worth giving up my sin to have Jesus. Each one of these sufferings, these groanings, can be used to push you away. And yet God in his love is twisting it about, subverting it, and says that we suffer and we can suffer with Christ. Did you notice he didn't say we're fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer, period? Because what would we do then? Can, can somebody hit me, you know? I need, to, I need some suffering. As if suffering on its own was what we're talking about. It's not even really the suffering that we're talking about. It's that Christians need to suffer with Christ. It's how we respond to suffering. I mean, come on, who suffers, Christians or non-Christians? We all suffer. And is suffering always good in people's lives? No, sometimes suffering in people's lives turns them bitter, turns them evil. Suffering does not always have a good effect in people's lives. What this depends on whether or not you suffer the right way. This is why this is unique to Christians. Provided you suffer with Christ. How do you respond to suffering? This is what we need to learn. We're saved to glory. We're saved through suffering with Christ. So if, if you're a Christian, how are you going to suffer when it comes? In all its millions of varieties, small to great. How are you going to do it? Paul is saying suffer with Christ. Suffer with Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? I think there's two major parts to this. One is fellowship. The other is submission. One is fellowship. The other is submission. So what, is, what does fellowship mean? It means sharing togetherness. It means presence. So when you suffer, you're supposed to realize, I mean, think of, think of the word, think of this phrase, provided we suffer with him. So we provided, yeah, we have to do this. Suffer, yeah, it's the things that make us groan. Provided we suffer with him. Think of that word with. What does that mean? He's here. He's close. Provided we suffer with him. Who's here? Jesus is here by his spirit, the one who's gone through it all for you. He's here. Suffer with him. It's fellowship. I want to give you a few examples. Here's one example, I think. Look at Philippians 4. Now, where's Paul when he writes this letter? Anybody remember? A Roman prison. Disneyland suffering. He's in prison. He's thinking he might get executed. So this... You want to see how a man responds to suffering? Read Philippians. Unbelievable. So he knows about suffering. And what does he say, Philippians 4.4? Rejoice. Doesn't just say rejoice always because you'd be like, what? Rejoice where? In the Lord. Always. You got the Lord. There's always something to rejoice in because he's there. Again, I will say rejoice. And then he says, the Lord is what? At hand, some translations say the Lord is near. It either means he's coming back soon or it means he's with you right now by the Spirit. I think it means both. But he's here. And since he's here, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, I don't know about you, but good things don't make me anxious. Matt, we've decided to take you out for sushi tonight. Let's go. What makes you anxious? Theoretical bad things make you anxious. And in all those, the more afraid you are, the more you're feeling like Jesus won't be there. He won't be there. He won't take care of me. He's not watching out for me. He won't help me. He won't give me what I need. 
I can't make it. Paul says, the Lord is at hand. Look now at Romans 8.28. Okay, Paul's talking about groaning, groaning, suffering. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, what? All things work together for good. Do you think he's thinking of the really good, easy things right there? Do you have to be convinced of that? He's thinking about the hard things, the sufferings. That's the point of this chapter. The point of this chapter is nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not even the suffering. In fact, God loves you so much, Paul's saying, he's going to turn the suffering into what's good for you. So don't be anxious. He's here. Fellowship, fellowship. He's here. You can trust him. So how do you want to respond to suffering with Christ? How do you do that? Number one, lean on him. Lean, in, lean into him. Pour out your hearts to him. Complain to him. In prayer this morning, we read Psalm 88. It's the most depressing section of the Bible. It's so unhappy. But the positive thing in that psalm is that the author won't stop going to God, no matter how bad it gets. Lean in on him. He's here. Trust him. Fellowship. And I think we can do that knowing he knows. What did, what did Jesus do like 30 seconds before he raised Lazarus? I love that story, right? He knows what he's going to do. He waited so he could let Lazarus die. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to raise him from the dead so everybody can be like, <sighs> and right before he does it, he weeps and he groans. I'd have been all like nonchalant, wouldn't you? Don't sweat it, really. Watch this. <laughs> I'm obviously not Jesus, not that any of you were confused. Jesus gets there and he weeps, groans, because he hates the suffering and he hates the evil so much. And then he says, Lazarus, come on out. And the boy comes out. So good. But that story shows you, like a million other stories, his compassion. God has compassion on us when we suffer. Jesus has compassion. He knows. He's tasted it. He knows and he puts his arm on you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Walk with me. I've done this walk. Cross before the crown. Suffering before glory. Walk with me. Let's go. I'll do it with you. See, we, we have to own this. How do, you, how do we respond? How do we want to respond? How do we need to respond when we suffer? With Christ. Fellowship. Lean on him. Second thing, submission. This might be the hardest one. Submission. Question, does God have good reasons to allow us to suffer? Do you dare answer? Does he have good reasons to allow us to suffer? If he's big enough and strong enough for you to be upset with him that he allows you to suffer, assuming he could have stopped it, then is he not also wise enough to have a purpose for it? Does the New Testament tell you anything God might be trying to do through suffering? Is there anything like this in here? Now listen, I want to be gentle. If, you, if somebody's reeling from suffering, you probably don't go in and give them the eight things God might be trying to do in their lives through it. Do the first part first. Fellowship, share, weep with them, okay? And if we are going to be wise Christians with a vision for what God has for our lives and we know that suffering is coming, some, more for some, less for others, but it's coming and we're supposed to suffer with him, what does this mean? Because if God has plans for us in suffering, then shouldn't we know what they are? Has he told us? There's a million places we could go for this. I'm just going to give you a few. Number one, look at Hebrews 12. 
It's in the, right in the context of suffering. It's, it's looking at, in this passage, is looking at Jesus. He endured the cross, despised the shame for the joy set before him. He suffered, and here's why. And now look at Hebrews 12, 7. It is for what? Discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. What son is there his father doesn't discipline? And then he basically says, you know, a good father, of course he's going to train his son. If he doesn't do that, he's not a good father. And if God is your father, what's he going to do with you? He's going to train you. Don't think of a spanking here. Think of training. He disciplines, for us, he disciplines us for our good. And what is our good in God's mind? That we may share his holiness. He wants you to be set apart to him in your heart and your mind and the way that you think. And he uses sufferings to enable that. Are you open to it? Are you, uh, are you the kind of kid that keeps rebelling and has to get spanked 83 times? Or are you the one that the dad can say, hey, can I talk to you? And you listen. It's kind of an interesting way to think of it. Will you listen to him? Hey, I want to train you. You're not allowed to. How dare you? You don't love me. Gave my son for you. I want to train you. Be holy. Work on your holiness right now. Be set apart to me. How about this one? Look at Colossians 3, 12 to 14. I always laugh at this verse because it exposes me, exposes us. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So who are we? God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, set apart for him. Put on, what should we put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then our favorite verse, right, Fountain of Life? Verse 13, bearing with one another. Doesn't that have suffering in it? Because this, you know, this, this exposes what we're not allowed to say. Don't say this, but Paul's telling us, I know you have people in there that bother you. And you're all like, he's talking to me. How did he find out? I thought I hit it. It's God's word. <laughs> There's people that are harder for us. Is that a suffering when people are hard for you and you have to meet with them all the time? Yes. What does he want you to do? Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, what? Forgiving each other. In what way? What kind of forgiveness? Oh, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Careful how you play this. How do you want Jesus to forgive you? Just when you say you're sorry and you really mean it? Or are you hoping he'll forgive everything all the time real quick? Pick what kind of forgiveness you want. Then show it. Do you see how the suffering trains you to make you holy? Because look what we get to do. We get to live the gospel. That makes you holy when you forgive somebody. It works on your character. First Peter says this, here's another one. God wants to make us holy, a second one. First Peter 1, 6. In this you rejoice, and that's all we have in Christ there in context. Though now, for a little while, if what? If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Is he saying that God only gives you what's necessary? He might be. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that, so it was necessary that they had trials, and what's God want to do? Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. What's he testing? Your faith. And he's not testing in a way to be like, is this real or not? No, he's purifying it. Purifying it. Do hard times purify you if you suffer with Christ? And you lean on him more and more and more and more. I'm trusting you even though I don't get this. This is killing me. I'm trusting you. 
Look what it results in, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine standing before Jesus, and he brings up there in front of everybody, here, here's, my, here's my sister, she went through X, Y, Z, and A, B, and C. It was awful. But look at her faith. She trusted me all the way through. She tried to keep going to be faithful. She tried to love. She tried to serve. Awesome. Well done. Praise and glory and honor. Tolkien wrote, the, the highest joy is the praise of the praiseworthy. Somebody you respect looks at you and says, good job. You're like, whoa. What if Jesus looks at you and says, good job. Won't you just float on, on the skies forever and ever? Did you hear what he said to me? That's what this is doing. He's purifying our faith. Number three, it changes what you rely on. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.8. Paul writes, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So what did he experience in Asia? Affliction. And then you don't often hear Paul talk like this, but look what he says. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. We got so nailed by whatever suffering it was, we were just laying there going, it's over, let me die, got nothing left. Totally beat down. Verse nine, indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death but we hadn't. In fact, he says, God had a point in this. Do you see this? Who's in charge of Paul being afflicted to the point of being like, I got nothing? That was too, that's a purpose statement. Somebody's doing something. Does God love Paul? Yeah. Did God allow Paul to be afflicted to this point? Yeah. Why? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. When you lose, see, if we got all these good things in life we lean on, health, money, relationships, stuff, all these hopes, and suffering kicks them out from under you. Not young anymore, not healthy anymore, not this anymore, don't have that anymore. I got nothing now. Where am I going to lean? And what's God saying? Jump. I'll catch you. Rely on God who raises the dead, even when I lose it all. When suffering takes me to the final brink, who's going to be there to catch me and pull me through? God. God's using suffering, and he wants us to see it. Last one I'll mention this morning. So we've said suffering trains us for holiness. It builds up, our, builds up our faith, helps us rely on God alone. Number four, it's a stage for his glory. It's a stage for his glory. Here's one example in Philippians 1. Again, we're back in Philippians. Paul's in prison. 1 verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, it's what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial garden to all the rest. My imprisonment is for Christ. So it stinks. He's suffering. He's in prison. But what did God use that prison for? Well, a bunch of Roman soldiers heard about Jesus, and they saw it right there. Is that worth it? Only if your great mission is to spread the gospel to everyone. Is that our great mission? It is. People listen when you suffer maybe more than when you're rolling, especially as a Christian. You know, if, uh, what do you do? Well, I've got all this stuff and I'm always happy. Wow. Gosh, your life's... In shambles, you say, you know what? It is, and I still have joy in Christ. All of a sudden, how does Christ look? Oh. It's a stage, or this one, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we can comfort those who aren't in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. 
We're suffering, God comforts, others are suffering, we can comfort. It's a stage for his glory. How do we suffer? With Christ. Listen, I hope you don't suffer very much. I don't really want to suffer myself. Um, we should pray a lot of times that God will relieve suffering. It's good. And he does so many times, doesn't he? Heals us, saves us. We're not people who want to be in love with suffering and pain for its own sake. We're not every Friday is a good Friday people. We rejoice. We have fun. Uh, but suffering will come. Some of us will have loads of suffering others of us cannot imagine. Others of us will have smaller suffering that in comparison to some other people doesn't seem like very much. But we will all have every day and in some way some kind of what? Suffering. You're heirs with Christ. The Spirit is telling you you are a child of God adopted. He's taken you to glory. Jesus came to suffer to save us from suffering. And so because of that, when you suffer, suffer with Christ, leaning on him in fellowship, leaning on him, his presence, his kindness, his goodness, and submitting to him and what he might want to be doing in it. We'll close with this, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Will you read that with me? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you praise that you took our suffering, not just our suffering, but of all your creation, and you're healing it, you're making it new, and uh, now you want us to walk with you. Um, Lord, help us to surrender to you, uh, submit to you for what you might have for us. God, we don't like suffering, we don't want it. Um, we pray against it, help us, save us, but Lord, when it comes in your plan, help us to do it right, help us to do it with Jesus, relying on him, trusting in him, leaning on him, um, open to what you're working in our lives, because we know you've promised it, you're working everything for good. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.